opportunities are there to be taken and this is an opportunity for both you and I. Because what is wisdom? It's not mere intelligence or factual knowledge or even experience to a degree. Because wisdom involves a deep understanding of human nature and communication. And that's where we're going today with Dr. Tony Alessandra. He's an entrepreneur. He's a Hall of Fame global speaker. He is the author of 32 books. He's got an endless list of globally recognized awards, which include officially the world number one communication guru. Even Tony Robbins goes to Dr. Tony Alessandra for this stuff. Let's do this. All right. Tony Alessandra, good to see you again, sir. Likewise, James. So, first question. Why is communication an indispensable life skill? Well, everything is about how people are talking to each other, trying to, you know, me conveying what I want to convey to you, you understanding what I am delivering to you. And oftentimes in between there, uh, things get lost. It could be static. It could be interruptions. uh, It could be you interpreting what I'm saying differently than what I meant. Uh, So it's crucial. Anything you want to get done, whether it's sales, leadership, parenting, teaching, it's all done via communication. Oh, it is. I mean, you've you've gone there two things, haven't you? Convey and understand. You've got to convey something, communicate. And there's two things to be understood. I mean, what does Stephen Covey say? The need to feel understood. Right, right. Uh, You know, early in my career, one of the topics that I focused on was listening skills Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, the broader category of communication. So it was questioning, listening and feedback, uh, which all are part of this whole communication aspect. So, you know, you can there's a difference between listening and hearing. Hearing, I may hear what you're saying but I may not be truly listening. We, we call that active listening. Active listening is me showing you that I'm listening. It's giving you feedback. It's clarifying yeah. things that you're saying. So this is all part of the communication process. Yeah, I'm really observing a lot of things you do, and I'm just acutely aware of your body language, of what's going on at the moment. You know what? There's a guy called Martin Newman, Dr. Martin Newman. He said something really profound that I've remembered since the day he said it. This was about six, seven years ago. It was about, he's, a, he's a professor on emotional intelligence. Mm. And he said, listening is the biggest skill in the world at reducing resistance in any area of your life. Absolutely. Especially in marriage, by the way. <laughs> especially in marriage, yes. It is. And why, why especially in marriage? Well, you know, the, I don't know if you remember this book that came out many years ago, Men Are From Mars, yeah, yeah, Women course. Are From Venus. Yeah, everyone remembers. Yeah, yeah, so, everyone's heard of the book. Yeah. So the whole thing is, you know, men speak in uh, Martian, women speak in Venetian, and when men speak, uh, the female needs to understand Martian, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, I'm using their terminology, but particularly, I mean, women naturally tend to be a better listeners than men. Don't ask me why. It just right, it just you. is the case. Women are maybe it's it's their emotional intelligence. Maybe they have a, a, a more natural feel for emotional intelligence in general. Okay. 
believe me, there are some men who have much more emotional intelligence than yeah. some women. But in general, yeah. women tend to be better listeners than men. And uh, so it's important that, you know, listening is a very active process. I need to be listening to you. I need to be showing you that I'm listening. So eye contact is absolutely crucial. Do you crucial. listen with your eyes? You do. You absolutely should listen with your eyes. You have to listen with your eyes and your ears. So uh, because uh, when people communicate, they are basically communicate, communicating using three V's of communication, verbal, vocal, visual. So verbal and vocal, so verbal, the words, vocal, the way they're said, uh, which really yeah, can yeah. change how you hear things. So, so listen to this. So let me use vocal here. You ready? Yep. So the saying is, I didn't say you took that. I didn't say you took that. Okay. Now watch with inflection. I didn't say you took that. Somebody else did. I didn't say you took that. I implied it. I didn't say you took that. Somebody else did. I didn't say you took that. You borrowed it. I didn't say you took that. Took something else. See, the the intonation. I, right, seriously, I mean, I was it's trying crazy, to keep up isn't with, it? I was trying to keep up with you there, and it was like every one is different. Yeah. So it, it, you know, you put the emphasis on a word. Uh, uh, you know, even uh, what's the what's uh, the word I used to use? Uh, uh, I, I can't even remember the word I, I used to. I used to do this whole thing using a word. And how the just inflection, one word, yeah. just one word, how the inflection changes it. Well, whenever it comes to you during the course of this, yeah, I'll, I'll, this podcast, just, I'll do just it. go for it, yeah? Verbal, vocal, and visual. And visual. So, but, but visual is where you use your eyes, Yeah. okay? Because uh, you say to me, Tony, uh, you know, we've been talking about this particular item. Are you in agreement with me? And, you know, I can say, yes, I am. Or I can go like this. <laughs> You've told me everything I need to hear. You know, and then I, I say, yeah, yeah. So notice, my body language probably was no. My vocal inflection was maybe, yeah, yeah. But the words, yeah, yeah, the actual words, yeah. the verbal was yes. So that's why it's so important to pay attention, not just to what is said, but how it's said and the body language that goes with it. I feel a lot of pressure right now. <laughs> saying the right thing the, in the right way with yeah. the right body language. So, All yeah. right. So here's another aspect of listening. Do you listen with your heart? With your heart? Uh, I guess you could. Uh, and maybe there's where part of emotional intelligence hmm. comes into play. Uh you know, the Chinese have got an interesting philosophy around listening. They've got, you listen with your eyes, you listen with your ears, mm -hmm. you listen with your heart. So you holistic listening. But they, they go a step further is you, you listen and like there's only one person. These are the most important person. So you, you, you're paying undivided attention. And then they go even further again. You imagine you're listening to the king or the queen. Yeah. And that's how present you've got to be. Yeah. And I, is, is, that, is that where the heart comes in? Well, no, I think the heart is, is more. You listen with your eyes, visual. You listen with your ears, auditory. You listen with your heart, the feelings, how someone's feeling as they're saying it.
kind of active listening goes into that area, doesn't it, of emotional intelligence? Yeah. Yep. What is emotional intelligence? Uh, well, it's it's how you can actually read the other person, uh-huh. uh, sort of sense where they're coming from. You 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 know how to deal with that individual. Uh, you know, it's it, it it we can go a lot broader than that, but but but, you, but reading the individual, you have to look at them, don't you? You do. You can't read them unless you do. Again, the the verbal, vocal, visual, the the eyes really play a very important aspect to how to does listening. someone become world class in those three areas: verbal, vocal, visual, in the way that they communicate. Well, training, learning. So, you know, you can hear the words. The words themselves. Mm. Uh, are, are probably the easiest yeah. of the three. The vocal, you really have to pay attention to the vocal and and be more aware of what it means uh, uh, and sense it, mm-hmm. okay? Sense it. Uh, and then the visual is a whole other world. It's body language. Yes. And there's a, books, I mean, tons of books written on body language. What does it mean when somebody goes like this? Uh-huh. What does it mean when somebody goes like like, finger, you know, finger here, apparently. Yeah, apparently they're thinking. I'm thinking. I'm making yeah, I'm a thinking. decision mm. here. Yeah. You know, so there, there's a lot of little nuances. Me, I'm Italian, so we have we have our body language. Yeah. We won't get into the Italian body language. What you know, what that means. But does that uh, mean you're really stylish, though? Because I mean, come on, Italians are really stylish. <laughs> Italians talk with their hands. You know, so it's uh, it's interesting. There was a, a little YouTube clip I saw of a young little girl. She must have been two or three years old. It is the funniest thing how she is using her hands. It's almost exaggerated, but, you know, how would she know what's exaggerated or not? But, you know, she's talking with her hands and, but Italians, that's what they do. It does. I mean, it it conveys a message. It adds an intensity to what's being said. Exactly. Exactly. Is, is there, are there any other secrets to intensity in communication? Because when you are in an intense conversation, you're definitely present, yeah? What are the ingredients there of intensity in communication? Well, I think eye contact is crucial. That's yeah. why when you don't have eye con- contact with somebody uh, and they're talking to you, they feel you are not listening to them. Even if you can repeat it back, what they said, they just feel slighted that you didn't have eye contact. That's why it's so important. Now, now listen to this. It's so important. Every so often, somebody walks into a room and uh, there's a person in the room, let's say it's a husband and wife, or it could be a, a two business uh-huh. people. And the person who's already in the room is doing something. They're concentrating. Person walks in the room and starts talking. And, and the person who's doing something, concentrating, eventually realizes somebody's in the room saying something and says, I, 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 what did you say? And the other person who walked in the room gets a little put out yeah. that, hey, why aren't you listening to me? It, by the way, that's really common in life. It's yeah. very common. I think it's very important that when somebody walks into somebody else's space, they need to get the other person's attention before they deliver whatever message it is. If they if they don't get the person's attention, then it's their fault, not the person's fault for not hearing or listening to what they said. Uh so, and that's why I want to get somebody's, if I walk into a room, I want to get somebody's eye contact first before I deliver my message. Get, get the other person's attention 
before you ask them the question or exactly. demand something. Exactly, of them. exactly. Remember your first comment on marriages earlier on, you know, you know, and how how important is that on day to day life with your family and your friends and your loved ones of getting their attention before you go and ask them the question? Well, I think it's crucial. Uh, I think it's a little, maybe a little easier to get your spouse's attention, a little bit harder to get a child's attention. Yeah. Because they, you know, they're just preoccupied with other things or just not aware. If you don't get their attention and you keep asking the question, is that where frustration creeps in? And oh, yes. People start shouting. Absolutely. You know, a, a classic scenario is one of the spouses, I won't say husband or wife, just one of the spouses, is reading a newspaper at breakfast. And the other spouse starts talking about something. Maybe they're doing something, whatever. And the person reading the paper, even if they continue the conversation uh, the correct way, but the paper is up here, the other individual gets a little put out because yeah. they just don't feel that. They don't feel listened to. That's exactly right. That, that, that's the word. They don't feel listened to. Even though the person heard they don't. The other person doesn't feel listened to. I interviewed a lady, Dr. Linda Shaw, remarkable lady, psychotherapist, and and she said, "You want to know the best thing that you can give anyone. The best thing that you can give anyone is to help them make to make them feel significant." Mm. Oh God, there's an art to that, isn't there? But how how do you make them feel significant? <clears throat> you listen to them. You, you put the paper down. Put the paper down. You put whatever what it is. You stop. Uncross your arms. Yeah. Get, get off of your, your uh, cell phone. Oh, put it down. Uh, if you're at your computer, stop typing. You know, in a particular Basically, office. Basically, you stop. You what stop you're what you're doing. You even turn around. So I'm, I'm at my desk. Yeah. Somebody comes in start and says, hey, you got a minute? Too often, the person keeps doing, yeah, I have a minute. What is it, what is it you want? Yeah. No, I stop, I turn around, and it shows respect. It shows that you value the other person. I stop what I'm doing, whether it's typing, reading, whatever, and now I'm giving you my full attention. And 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 in listening, also try to block out distractions. There's, it, there's an art to eliminating noise, yeah. Well, there is, and, and it's called concentration. All right, so. Uh, you're in a restaurant. You're talking to somebody yeah. across from you. So it's just two of you. But the table over here, two people you don't even know, are having a more interesting conversation. <laughs> so you're trying to listen with one ear here and one ear there. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. People feel that they can... Uh, this is even like studying you know, I feel I could listen to music and study or read at the same time. Uh, or I, I can multitask. I can do two things yeah. at the same time. Uh, it, it, you really, to you could only do one thing at a time well. Well. So when you are trying to do two things, you are, you are moving your attention back and forth, back and forth. And as I move my attention here, I'm missing something there. When I move my attention there, I'm moving something, I'm missing something here. So it's, it really is important that you stop what you're doing, make your eye contact, let the person know you're listening. So eye contact, things like this, we call them vocal prompts. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really? Minimally you encourage. Know, go so on. Keep them, yeah. keep them speaking. And, and then also feedback. Uh, can you give me an example of that? You know, you said you want it right away. What What do you mean by right away? Is it today yeah. or... Because some people right away means now. Some people right away means as soon as you can get yeah. to it. So it it's important that you clarify anything that can be misunderstood. So that's why we have... Uh, questions, listening, feedback. Feedback is making sure that yep. what I'm hearing and how I'm interpreting it is what you're really trying to convey to me. That that's that's communication. You know, when you said, "Well, I I had this little moment." You you know, the, there's a lady called Carol Dweck that she wrote a book called Mindset. She talks about the growth mindset. And I always use her story of little girl coming up to her and saying, I can't do that. And she said, you just got to add one word to the end of the sentence and just repeat it again for me. Just put the word yet. Yeah, yet. I, I was thinking now, that, but, but it's the same I thing. I can't do that yet. Yet. Which is so, it just makes the point straight away. It changes your mindset. And as soon as you said, you can't do two things. You can't, can't listen to this things. and that well. That's right. And if you're not doing it well, probably by definition, you're doing it average or poor. That's exactly. So, exactly. Do you, so do you want to be an average listener? Do you want to be a poor listener? It's a, it's a bit of a manipulation question. The answer is probably no for most people. Then if you want to do it well, undivided attention. Learn how to concentrate. Learn. How do you learn how to concentrate when you're in conversation? Well... So, you know, one of the things that I, I talk about quite frequently is DISC, you know, the first yeah, style I model. Yeah, I want to go there. We're going to go there, but I'm going to tell you. So DISC, for those listeners, the D is dominance. It stands for yeah. dominance. The I for influence. Yeah. The S for steadiness. The C for conscientiousness. <clears throat> I'm a D, a high D. So dominance. And listening is not one of my strengths. So how did I get better at listening? I learned what it takes to be a better listener and then had to practice it. Now, is it even now, after I've learned how to do it, hopefully well, is it natural to me? No, it's not. I have to, even though I know all the things sh that should be done, I've studied it, I've taught it. It's still not natural to my D style. I know how to do it. I've just got to make sure that when somebody's talking to me, I know that I have to stop what I'm doing. I know I have to turn around and make my eye contact. I know how to give the the verbal and vocal, you know, prompts and, you know, tell me more. How did that happen? You know, using the appropriate facial expressions. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's all something that I had to learn. And anybody out there who is not a good listener could learn how to be a good listener. And that is one of the best ways, talk about emotional intelligence yeah. and talk about making somebody feel valued. It's listening. I mean, that is, if I had to pick the crucial communication skill, that's that's what it would be. It would be listening, not speech, yeah. listening. And look, you've given a few sort of tips there, really, haven't you? Number one is literally stop what you're doing. Do a physical act as well. Turn, turn and face. You know, put the paper down, stop typing, Give that time, show, show the person that you're giving time. But then you've saying, learn how to do it and practice it. Exactly.
But even when you practice it, you'll know what to do, but it doesn't mean that it becomes natural for you. Will natural, it ever become natural? Well, I wouldn't say that listening for me, as much as I have studied it and even taught it, they say the best way to learn something is to try to teach it. It's still not a natural, habitual right. behavior for me. Uh, I still have to And you look, you're not offended by that, neither. You're not disgraced by it. I mean, you, 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 you're communicating that now. A lot of people might not want to admit that. Is yeah. that common? Uh, well, I think it's common. Uh, they don't want to admit a lot of things. <laughs> right. you know, so listening being one of them, but being a good communicator, having emotional intelligence, uh, whatever it is, uh, a, a lot of people don't admit that they have that uh, well, look, you, inability. You, you said you've taught and studied this. Now, I'm very acutely aware that you've been, you've been at the top of your game for 50 years communicating, not just DISC, but behaviors, communication, and teaching and educating people for 50 years. What have been some of the biggest lessons that you've had in them 50 years? Well, I'm going to run the gamut here. Uh, the one thing that I talk about a lot is something I call the platinum rule, which is yeah. different from the golden rule. The golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. In other words, treat people the yeah. way you would like to be treated, which is all well and good if other people are just like you and other people are moved and motivated exactly the same way you are. But they're not. Most people are not. And in a world of increasing diversity, where, where people are so, so different, it, well, it could be ethnic, social, behavioral, uh, gender, uh, religious, uh, ethnic, you name it. There's a lot of areas of, of difference, diversity. Uh, you have to be able to adapt. And that's where I came up with the platinum rule, which is do unto others as they would have you do unto them. Basically, treat people the way they want and need to be treated. So uh, you need to learn uh, people listen differently, people communicate differently. That's how you connect with them. You, you find out what's important to them. You listen and adapt, adjust. You know, there's a, uh, you may be too young for this. There was a, a, an old TV show called All in the Family. And all in the family, there was Archie Bunker. Maybe I, you've heard that name, Archie right, Bunker. Archie Bunker was, oh my gosh, he was, uh, it's my way or the highway, all right? And he used to say to his wife, he Edith. He high D. He, well, he, he was, I don't even know if I can call him a high D. He was off the charts. That's right. all I can tell you. If you ever get a chance to go to YouTube, Archie Bunker. go to YouTube, put either Archie Bunker or all in the family and just watch a couple of clips it's it's quite it was quite uh, groundbreaking in terms of uh, what was said and done on the show, but anyway, he would always uh, get into these little arguments with his wife Edith, and he would say, "Edith, you know why we don't communicate? It's because I speak in English and you listen in dingbat." He used to call <laughs> her a dingbat, uh, and. You know, so but if Archie really wanted to learn how to communicate more effectively with Edith, what would he have learned to speak? Dingbat. You, you that that's the way you get on somebody else's wavelength. So you know, I have four kids. I have a D and I and S and a C. I have all four styles. Give over. It's it's been perfect. That's my learning laboratory. Uh, 
uh, all the little things about how to manage them, motivate them, uh, uh, correct them. Very different from one style to another. We've got to go through all of that. How to manage, motivate, and correct. Can we do that? Manage, motivate, and correct for each of the styles. Well, I'll do my best, yes. So, uh, you know, with uh, with Ds, again, right. remember. And let's just remember for the listeners, a D is someone that's directly do- speaking, that's dominant, dominant in behavioral and communication style. A- exactly, yeah. exactly. They are what we would call uh, uh, fast-paced and task-oriented, all right? Fast-paced, task-oriented. You, you don't go in and, and say that, you know, build up this whole case uh, before you get to the point. They want you to get to the point, and if they want you to fill in any gaps, then we'll, that, that's when they'll start asking questions. But with my, you know, so when it comes to uh, uh, managing each of those styles, the Ds, uh, they're self-managed. You don't have to manage a D. You mm. just have to make sure that, you both are on the same wavelength what direction they're going in, okay? You just have to make sure that's the direction. Are we in agreement? And and they're there. You don't have to worry about that. They're self-motivated. Boom, they're there. Whereas an S is going to need a little bit more uh, hand-holding. Here, let's walk that way. Uh the C, they're going to want, you know, why am I walking that way? Uh, you know, all the uh, the data and documentation. And the I, we just have to get them excited about why to go that way. Uh, you know, when it comes to learning, uh, they learn very differently. Uh, the D, uh, the D says, let's take a, a, a new uh, computer program. Or let's say somebody is switching from... Yeah, and, and just for the listeners right now, every time we say the D, let's just remind them, this is task-focused, fast-paced. Fast-paced, ta- task-focused for a D. For an I, it's fast-paced, relationship-focused. For the S, it's slow-paced, relationship-focused. And for the C, it's slow-paced, task-focused. Right. So you can see how they all have yeah. their little differences. Yeah. So when it comes to learning, let's say I'm, uh, I've been told, you know what, we're, we're moving away from a PC to a Mac computer. Very different, right? You have to learn new things. Here's, here's how a D does it. The D says, all right, look, James, just show me how to turn it on and do this one thing. If I want to know anything else, I'll call you. You can tell me what to do, <laughs> right? They don't want to learn the yeah, whole thing. Yeah, no. All right, so the, uh, that's the D. The, uh, the C says, uh, uh, where's the manual for this? I want to go through the manual and make sure I, I know what to do. The S says, uh, James, can you, you know, show me how to do this? So they learn by you have to uh, explain it, show it, let them do it. Give them feedback and then move on to the next thing. And the I, they just, you know, they look at this and say, hey, what's this button? You know, <laughs> what does this do? What does this do? They just jump right in and maybe even press the wrong button and erase everything on the computer. Who knows? Uh, but but it's, it's really very different. Yeah. Uh, correcting with the S. Now, let's go to my kids. The S who is relationship-oriented, slow-paced. If the S did something wrong, which doesn't happen very often, all I had to do is give my look like this. And you can see the tears welling up 
in the yes's eyes, my child. Because they feel guilty. Or they, they feel, feel like guilty. They, they don't and... like. They don't like to be reprimanded. Yeah. You know, with the uh, with the C, you just have to. You really don't want to tell a C they did something wrong. You want to show them how it should have been done, could have been done better a different way. Not that you're wrong. Here is a better way to do it. Uh, with the I, uh, you know, if you're going, going to correct them, uh, you know, you, they don't like their feelings hurt either, the I's. The S's definitely don't. But the I's... They don't want to, uh, you don't want to correct them in front of other people, all right? They don't like to lose face. Uh, but, you know, you have to tell them what they did wrong and, you know, how yeah. they should do it. With the D, you can just get right to the point. No, that's not the way to do it. This is what you should be doing or have to be doing. Very direct. They're, you know, they don't get upset about things. You can just write yep. straightforward with them. It, it really is different how uh, how these kids or the different styles react. Uh, you know, when they brought home their report cards, uh, the I wanted to call up grandma, put it on the uh, on the fridge, you know, with a magnet so everybody could see it. Uh, the D would come home with the report card. You'd have to ask, did you get your report card today? Yeah. Where is it? Here. Uh, this is great. The D would say, how great. They want a little payment for it. You know, how much do I get for every A, every B? Yeah, yeah. Whereas the I just wants recognition, yeah. you know, let everybody see how well I did. So it, it's... Uh, this what whole, does the C want? The C with the, let's say when they brought the report card home, they would show you the report card and tell you why they scored only a B here or a C there or why they got the A here. Yeah. They go to, into this analysis of, of everything. Uh, and the S, you know, they, uh, when they show the report card and you ask, well, why did you get a C? Well, that's when the tears start welling up again and the teacher didn't understand me mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, whatever. So a lot of handholding there. What are some of the biggest mistakes then that people are making? You know, even with DISC here, what are the biggest mistakes that people are making in business and personal life on a day-to-day -day basis? I would say one would be not adjusting to the style of the other person. Not adapting. That, that's basically learning how to adjust. And there's, there's a, a couple of simple ways to adjust. You don't have to learn all this incredible stuff. So when you're dealing with a D, just make sure that whatever you do, you're doing it faster and you are focusing on the, the, the key points, yep. the task, okay? With the eyes, you want to, again, move fast, but make it, you know, a bit more upbeat, exciting. Yeah. Uh, with the S's, slow down, build trust and rapport listen to them of all four styles we you were talking speak, about listening you speak quieter as well you do it? you do so with a d you could go louder and faster and oh the tonality definitely and the pace and expression is a yeah. lot higher uh so let's see if this will work so uh, when i'm speaking to a d all right james here's what i want you to do or here's what needs to be done to make this happen all right with an eye hey james 
here's what we re- I mean, this is really exciting where we're going down yeah, this yeah, yeah. with the S, James. Uh, here's what we should be doing uh, to accomplish this. And with uh, uh, a C, James, uh, here are the uh, four steps that we need to take to accomplish this. Uh, here is some of the key points that you need to be aware of as you're, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. just your, vo- your voice changes, your body language, you know, with the, the eye, you could be more effusive, uh, you know, with your hands and body language, the D, uh-uh, you know, the D could be forceful, you know, James, this, whereas uh, the C, it, just almost, almost robotic. Well, right. So you're a high D, yeah? I'm a high D, yes. Which one do you find most the most challenging to adapt to? Um, usually it's what we call the diagonals. So if you could visualize a square. Yeah. And let's draw a line down the middle and a line across the middle. So we have four equal squares. All right. So in the upper right, we have the D. In the lower right, we have the I. In the lower left, we have the S. And in the upper left, we have the C. So D, I, S, C. Yeah. And it's the diagonals that are most difficult because they are different in what we call pace and priority. Pace being fast or slow. So the D and the S. So the D is fast paced. The S is slower paced. So that's one issue. And when it comes to priority, the D, task, the S relationship. So there's two differences. At least the D and the I, they're both fast-paced. It's just a difference between task and relationship. With the C and the S, they're both slower-paced, but it's task versus relationship. It's the diagonal. So the D and the S, the the C and the I, because the I is fast-paced. Yeah, they've got two, they've two, got two things, two differences versus yeah. one difference. Exactly. So... You just need to learn to make those adaptations. Yeah. You know. Do you with, ever do you ever stop developing it? Have you are you ever the you just know how to communicate with people now? You no, just I, know how to adapt. You've yeah, I that. think I I think that after a while, you you it becomes habitual behavior. Mm. You know what to do with an S. You know what to do with an I, etc. I mean, I know that when I'm with an S, what I need to do. And, and, and it really does come, it yeah. comes natural. I found the S one, because I've been practicing using your stuff for, for years. And I found the S one easier than the C. Yeah, oh, well, yes. Slow it down, softer, warmer tone. And the C, to add a level of detail in, and I've just got to prepare a lot more for that one. Yeah, but you're you're an I, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. So, but here's the thing: that's a diagonal, an yeah, I is. and a C. You know, with the S, you just need to change your pace. Yeah. Whereas with the C, you have to change both your pace and your priority. See, for me, the easiest people, well, the two adjacent styles, the D and the C, the D and the I. So I only have to make one change. With the S, I've got to make two. So it becomes a bit more problematic but that's empowering though isn't it because i've only got to make two changes but you've got to make two changes you got to make two changes and and then you learn what are those changes i mean uh i find it difficult uh 
it's difficult for me to slow down. I'm, I'm a fast-paced person, not only because I'm a D, I'm a New Yorker, I'm Italian, you know, so I got three things working on this here. I got the D, the Italian, the New York City. So it's harder for me to, you know, to slow down. But I've learned to slow down. Uh, you know, I've lived in San Diego, Southern California for 47 years. And a New York City fast-paced, you know, bottom line yeah, I mean, does not work there. Is that stereotype or is that literally true? Are most people in New York City that dominant fast-paced person. Have you been to New York City? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> love, it, love it, love it, love it. Yeah, so uh, are most people, I would just say that when you look at certain areas, let's say geography, yeah. there there is a... Uh, is there any pockets of like high S's? Uh, well, I don't know if there's pockets. <laughs> there's certainly a lot of high S's, C's, yeah. I went to I's. Maui, actually, and that, I mean, that's pretty chilled out. It's, they're chilled. They're chilled. So, so, it's the opposite of New York. No one's on the street after nine o'clock at night. Right. Yeah. But, you know, when I moved to San Diego, it that was a big change for me because they were slower paced. You know, not everything had yeah. to be a rush. And uh, uh, were they more relationship oriented? I'm not sure they were. Uh, it might appear that they are. They they seem to be friendlier. Right. New Yorkers appear to be unfriendly, but I'll tell you something. You stop a New Yorker on the street and say, I'm lost. How do I? They will, a true New Yorker will stop what they're doing. They will take the time and tell you not where to go, but how to go. Right. Yeah, they'll, they'll easily tell you where to go, but... Uh, yeah. Uh, but they'll do it. They'll do it. They'll do it. They they are pretty good at that. So what's the link then with behavior and communication? Because you, you do a lot on behavior change, a lot on behavior awareness. What's the link between the two? Well, uh, your behavior, part of your behavior is communication. In fact, a lot of your behavior is communication. Is DISC a behavior profile, a personality profile, or a communication profile? Yeah, it's a, it's a behavioral profile. Some people call it communication profile. It is not a personality profile. And a lot of people call it a personality profile. Yeah. But personality is a lot deeper, a lot broader right. than, uh, than just DISC or the four behaviors. See, what I like about DISC is the simplicity. It is. Uh, you can get into other style concepts like MBTI, yeah. Myers-Briggs yeah. Type Indicator. That's yeah. what MBTI stands well. for, Myers-Briggs Type Indicator. They have 16. Yeah. Not just 16 styles, but each style has four letters. Mm. And you need to remember all this. Whereas with DISC, you're either a D, I, S, or C. It's easy. Uh, one of our uh, uh, good customers uh, has gone beyond DISC takes the disc concept, but says, you know what? It's hard to, you know, what really is a D and an I? So what he did is he used birds. So the D is an eagle. And of course, when you see an eagle, you have a sense of what an eagle's like. Fly high, you know, they're to do their own thing. They're, you know, yeah. uh, and for the I, it's a parrot. You have an image. So when you see the eye, the instead of just saying, oh, I'm an eye, I'm a parrot, there, there's a lot more yeah. that you can relate to it. And then the, uh, the S is a, uh, a dove and the C is an owl. 
There you go. Why is the sea an owl? Uh, more, well, just just the the concept of what an owl is, not necessarily that precise, that's accurate, accurate thinking. Yeah. Uh, who, mm. right? Or, <laughs> you know, waiting. Yeah. you know, just. <laughs> I'm seeing sure, it. Yeah. I'm seeing the head moving. Uh, yeah. So coming back to to disc and and learning it, you learn it through your children. Now, there's some big, big people that you've actually taught this to. So Tony Robbins comes to you. He's been coming to you for, for years. I want to say decades, but I don't know if it is decades. Well, for years, for years. But he, I mean, okay, so let me clarify. He doesn't really come to me. But when he does disc for all of the people all over the world, he uses our disc. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, so he's one that a lot of people may know. And, and he does a lot of disc assessments every month, a lot Tens of thousands. What impact does do you think that has on? Because he, he does a lot on communication there with people. So what impact does that have on his community and the way it's growing and developing? Uh, he obviously sees it as crucial, very important, because when people take the DISC assessment, he has coaches, a whole team of coaches. I don't know how many, dozens, hundreds, uh, who then can sit down and debrief people about what their report is Why and how is to that use it. Why is debrief so crucial? Well, it tells people, you see, a lot of people when they get their, any kind of report, any kind of behavioral yeah. report, whether it's DISC, emotional intelligence, you name it, what they typically do, and let me just use DISC as an example, is they will look at their report, they'll read, read through, they, I don't know if they read every word, but they look through the report, and they usually say, yeah, this is me or this is not me. With our disc, almost invariably people say, this is me. I can't believe I just answered 24 questions and they know this much about me. Uh, but it, it can get a lot deeper in terms of understanding yourself and how you come across to other people. And secondarily, how you can use it in the way you communicate with other people. And that's what the, the coaches do. Uh, See, I found that, yeah, you get that awareness, don't you? You get that real lesson. And the, the people that I've worked with that have done that, the fact it's a really motivational experience, actually. Oh, look, this is me. People are really into to looking at that. So they, get, they become really aware of the, the good bits, the blind spots, the not-so-good bits. And... To get into personal development, I think it's a really brilliant way of getting into personal development. The first, MBTI was the first one I came across, mm. actually, probably 20 years ago. Uh, I went through that, and you know that had a similar effect on very, me Very similar, yes. It sort of get, becoming really aware of who you are and what, what your strengths are, what you're not so good at, how you need to start developing yourself. But, but James... Uh, when you have somebody like a coach, mm -hmm. and this is where coaches come into play, so crucial. When you have a coach who knows how to debrief one of these kinds of reports, let's yeah. again talk about DISC. It could be MBTI, yeah. it could be whatever. They give you a depth and breadth of insight that you alone reading it would not get. And that's why whether it's a Tony Robbins coach, whether yeah. it's an action coach, whether, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of coach you are, uh, 
Grant Cardone, you know, Grant Cardone is now using your disc as well. Grant Cardone uses it. <clears throat> Grant Cardone used to be my next door neighbor. Really? In, yeah, in uh, La Jolla, California. Literally next door neighbor. Here was my house. Next house over. This was what Grant. was it like being Grant Cardone's next door neighbor? Well, I've got you know, all of these thoughts that's going through yeah, my head right now. Yeah. Well, this was back in 1999, and and, and, and you were Heidi, and he's Heidi. Exactly. No, Did you I mean, have an argument over whose fence was? No, no, no. We never had an argument. Uh, back then, he was mostly a uh, automotive sales trainer. Right. And uh, but also invested a lot in real estate back then, and he still does even today. Big, you know, investments in real estate. Really, really good at that. Uh, and uh, I mean, we we weren't buddy buddy, but you know, we communicated with each other. I literally can, uh, from my second floor patio, our outdoor patio, can look down and see into his first floor patio. We used to joke about that. Uh, you know, hey, Grant, how you doing? Uh, so it was interesting to to have him as a neighbor. Uh, we moved first, moved away from there. Uh, and I, I guess maybe a year or two later, he he sold his home and, and moved. Now he lives in Miami, as does Tony Robbins. They both, and they both lived in San Diego, but they moved to Florida. Right. Uh, and I could just assume, I didn't ask them why they moved to Florida, but probably taxes. You know, there's a, a big high income tax. Right. State income tax in California. There is zero state income tax in really? Florida. Yeah. So it's it's a, and when you're making the kind of money they're making, which is multi-millions of dollars, you're talking about a lot of money because just the California, you know, that we have a federal tax that you pay wherever you live. But in California... At their income levels, it was over 13%. So you figure for every million dollars they earned, they had to give California 130000 and whatever to the government, which was another almost 40%. So, but yeah, Grant Cardone uses our disc assessment, Tony Robbins, uh, Brian Tracy. Uh, so we have those kinds Eat of people. Eat that frog, Brian Tracy. That's, That's a blast it. from the... You're yeah, good friends yeah. with Brian, aren't you? Very good friends with Brian. We see him probably, my wife and I, see uh brian and barbara tracy for dinner maybe every three four months he his book eat that frog had a profound effect on sort of both discipline and sort of time management to a degree on people didn't it where did he where did he think of that phrase eat that frog well you know it's brian tracy he's written let's see what did he tell me last time he's Almost at a hundred books that he's written. He I mean, the psychology of selling. I mean, and the art of closing the sale. Ridiculously brilliant books. Yeah. So he's in a hundred books. Almost. Uh, he, he's going to get to a hundred books. He does four books a year, uh, and they're all over the place. It can be uh, even political, right? Uh, or you know, positive thinking. Uh, but you know, eat eat that frog is I think his best selling book. Uh, his psychology of selling was an audio program with Nightingale Conant and was the second, I believe, the second best selling audio program. The best selling was the psychology of winning, I think it was, right. by by uh, Dennis Waitley. Right. Baseball. Dennis Waitley? No, not baseball. No. He, he was a big motivational speaker, right. but uh, different than Brian. 
uh, a lot of us have slowed down. As you get older, you slow down. Uh, in fact, last year, uh, I had these conversations with my buddies where I said, you know what, I want to I go out on top. Uh, I'm going to retire from speaking. And they would say, that's crazy. You know, you should, you know, why not continue speaking if you're still good at it? I said, no, I want to go out on top. Uh, I don't want I don't want to speak so long that my skills are not as good as they were when I was younger. And people start saying, yeah, he used to be really good. Used to be. So last year, I did a speech for Action Coach in Las Vegas. And I was, I actually was pretty sick. Uh, 90 minutes, 500 plus people. They called it Biz X. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the speech, I got a standing ovation. And I said, you know what? I'm talking to myself. I said, this is my mic drop. I haven't given a speech since. That was April of 2022. So it's been actually over, well, actually almost 18 months. I haven't given another speech and I won't, I'm done. Because I want people, you know, I want people to be saying, you know, why are you quitting? You know, you're, you're at the top of your game. That's when I want to quit. Yeah. So. Choose, choose the moment. Let's let's go back to where we started. We talked about communication. A big thing that you talked about communication was on listening. Absolutely. But let's talk about the act of me communicating, you know, saying the right thing in the right way, verbal, vocal, visual, all of these kind of things. But I want to come at it from an angle of pressure and stress because some people do feel pressure when it comes down to having to communicate. Now, do the different disc profiles have different needs under pressure? Well, I would say uh, probably the, the, the DISC uh, of all four styles, and I'm just in general, we're talking yeah. about generalities here. I would say probably the C style may have uh, the most difficulty. Uh, the S style. Why? Because they want to get it right. They want to get it right. They're, they don't really want to be at the center of attention. Right. Uh, but when they do speak... Uh, they they know what they're saying, but they don't say a lot. But when they know it, when they feel sure, they they could almost appear to be a D. But again, they don't talk, they don't talk as much. The S uh, again doesn't like to be the center of attention. Uh, likes to be in the background. Likes to be a supporter, as opposed to the one out front. Mm -hmm. Whereas the I always wants to be out front. Even if they don't know what they're talking about, they want to be out front. Uh, and the D, uh, it really doesn't matter. I, I, you know, as a D, I can talk or not talk. Uh, when I talk, I talk with authority. And I'm used, not me, I. I'm using the general yeah. I. Uh, and uh, everything sounds authoritative, forceful. Boy, Dean really knows what they're talking about, even if they don't. Uh, <laughs> So it, it uh, I would say, again, back to your question about stress and pressure, uh, I would say that the biggest stress and pressure would be on a C and S when it comes to communicating, but the C most, because they're not as people-oriented. The S is people-oriented. Uh, do they have to do different things to cope with the pressure? You know, I think the, the C would... Uh, 
would rather not talk at all. <laughs> they would rather just be in the background and walk away. Uh, the S, if it's one-on-one, -on -one, they're fine. One-on-many, no, that's not their, their thing. Whereas the I, one-on-one, one-on-many, it doesn't matter. They like to, you know, they like to be the storyteller, the center of attention. Uh, the D, if there's something in it for me, I'll do it. If not, you can do it. So give them an incentive. Yeah. The Mo D motivate them. Yeah, so the they've, they've got different motivators then as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, again, it depends. Uh, the D is very money motiv motivated. Very money uh, achievement motivated. Uh, sometimes they'll do things, even if there's no money, if it just is achievement. You know, I, I've done it. Is, is that driven you throughout your career? Uh, what's driven me is uh, certainly money. There's no question about it. Simply because growing up, we didn't have any. Right. Uh, growing up, we grew up, I grew up and, and lived initially in the projects, the projects of New York City. Now, the projects, I don't know if you know what that means, but the projects are the low cost, uh, you know, high rise buildings, mm -hmm. almost like public, uh, low, low cost rent, but small apartments. My father was a New York City cab driver. He also worked in the, in the printing industry, but in shipping, uh, we didn't have much money. Uh, when I went away to college, uh, my parents said, look, we only have enough money for the first year and we'll figure something out, all of us. Uh, and it wasn't until the summer between my freshman and sophomore year that I got a job selling door to door and, and realized that I really was good at selling and made a lot of money that summer between my freshman and sophomore year in college, enough money that I was able to pay my tuition, my room, my board, my travel, my spending money. My parents didn't have to lay out a penny. And I did that again between my uh, sophomore and junior year, my junior and senior year. And even when I went away to grad school, et cetera, earned all my own m money selling various things, whether it was life insurance, yeah. whether it was pots and pans. Did you sell pots and pans? I had sold pots and pans. And here's, the, here's an interesting little tidbit that you may or may not know. Uh, so I was selling pots and pans in the summers of 66, 67, 68. The product was called Salad Master. They were uh, a, a set of 10-piece set of cookware, six pots, four lids, surgical stainless steel on the outside, uh, copper inside. It was almost like a sandwich, stainless, surgical stainless steel. We called it surgical. I don't know what that, mm. stainless steel, stainless steel, copper in the middle for conductivity. So I was selling that cookware door to door. At the same time, in Texas, now I was in New Jersey doing this, in Texas, selling Salad Master cookware, Zig Ziglar, before he was really? the Zig Ziglar you saw on stage. Yeah, yeah. He was a salesperson selling the same cookware I was selling. Are you friends with Zig Ziglar as well? Yeah, he's passed away yeah. now, but we yes, oh, definitely. I was on tour with him in uh, Australia. We went to five different cities, and uh, yeah, we, we had a nice bond. Yeah, very nice bond. In that tour, What did by you the learn way, from Zig? Well, I'll tell you what he told me. He, he, I, I said to him, hey, uh, Zig, can you come in, because we all spoke at different times during the day in each city, 
And I said, would you listen to one of my speeches and give me some feedback? So the next day uh, after the, he listened to me, uh, he, he gave me some advice. You know, he said I was going to be really, really big in the field of speaking, that I had a lot of great stories, great humor. But the one thing that was lacking is you, you have to pull the emotion in people where it almost would bring tears to their eyes. And I have to tell you, I never mastered that. Never. I tried. For whatever reason, I couldn't master it. Uh, but had a very successful speaking career uh, doing my stories and humor did along Zig with Ziglar, content. Did, did Zig Ziglar get that every time he spoke? I think Zig, Zig had a formula. You know, uh, I, I don't know if I got the numbers right, but, you know, every four minutes there had to be something. Really? Could have been five minutes, could have been eight something minutes. Something emotional either emotional or funny, but something uh, to, to break that up. Uh, different speakers had different ways of doing things. Bill Gove. Who's the best speaker you've ever seen? Uh, the best speaker. Well, I could tell you the best, speak I, the best speech I've ever heard, oh. okay, uh, was Al Pacino in a movie called, uh, uh, what was it called? City... I think it may have been City Hall, where he was a mayor. And whatever it was, a, a young black kid was killed. And he had to go speak at a black church. And the black community was really against the mayor, him. And so he got up. He was introduced. He got up. Not a single clap. So he started talking, and as he started talking, you can see his emotion come out, his voice starting to change. He moved from behind the podium, and little by little, the, the audience, you know, not audience, it wasn't an audience, but the, the, uh, the people in the church, it was at a church, would start, you know, saying, yeah, amen, you know, a clap, couple of claps, and at the end, they were cheering, and it was... Such an incredible speech. I'm going to go watch it. it it's like not even a five-minute speech. What, what's the movie again? I think it's called City Hall with Al Pacino. Uh, and you have to fast forward until you get to where he's going into this black church. You have to listen to this. But other than that, uh, if you really want to get into honest-to-goodness speakers who earn money for a living, uh, Zig was incredible. I mean, really, really good. I loved a guy named Bill Gove who used to do what's called vignettes. So he had a lot of, uh, a vignette would be uh, a point with a story built around it, you know, to, to make yeah. it stick. So he had all these little enclosed vignettes. So let's just say he had 50 of them. So depending on the audience, depending on what they wanted him to cover, depending on how long he had to talk, all he would have to do is go into his vignettes and say, okay, I'm going to do uh, this one, this one, these two, and this one. And that'll be within the time period that will accomplish what it is they w Amazing. want to hear. Uh, so it's a point, a story wrapped around it. There's, yeah, there's great, no great story. Yeah, really, really good. He was really good. I mean, uh, I loved Cavett Robert. Uh, he was a real Southern you know, almost like a preacher, uh, you know, so people like that, you know, 
Martin Luther King, you know, some of their speech, his speeches. Uh, uh, I, I thought a great speech was uh, John F. Kennedy in his inauguration, you know, the one where mm. he says, you know, ask not what you can do f- or what the country could do for you, but what for you we what you can do for your country. I mean, just some great, great things. Uh, me, I, I growing up, even as a kid in school, I was a storyteller. It was just natural to me where I would tell these stories about things that happened to me. You know, I come from an Italian family. My mother was any speaker of my friends, any speaker who met my mother in person had a story about her because <laughs> she was like that. She was one of a kind. <laughs> and, you know, I have stories about my mother. So, you know, I would tell these stories, things that happened to me in college. People would come around, you know, as I told my stories, more and more people would come around. I didn't realize I would be a speaker, you know, in college. It was just, you know, entertaining people. Uh, and uh, I remember in 1973, early 73, I took a, an assessment. I'd never taken an assessment before. And this assessment, I believe, was called a strong vocational test. And it was a whole series of questions. And the report told you what you would be best at. So I got the report back. And I only did this because it was free. I was a professor. And one of my students showed me his and said, you know, you could take it for free. I'm going to do it. So I took it. I got it back. I looked at number three on the list. Number three said, and this told what you would really be good at, uh, marketing and merchandising. <laughs> Absolutely, that's me. Number two, sales. This thing's incredible. Number one, I looked at, and I said, this is absolutely ridiculous. It's so <laughs> wrong. I cannot believe it. It got two and three right, but number one, forget about it. Uh, it was, I mean, just where did this come from? So I took that and I filed it away. This was 1973. In the early 90s. Now, this is... I, I hadn't told us what it was yet. No, 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 no. Yeah. But uh, now, I was a college prof, a university prof, through 1978. So from... Uh, In what area? Marketing. Marketing, yeah. sales, advertising, you know. So from... September of 1970 through December of 78. In, in, in January of 79, I left academia, became a professional speaker. And that's when my first book came out called Non-Manipulative Selling. That was my very first book. And uh, so my speaking career, uh, th- that was 19, January of 79. In July of 85. So we're talking about what, five, no, six, six and a half years later, I was inducted into the Professional Speakers Hall of Fame. Okay. So that was 85. Early 90s. Uh, Very successful in speaking, you know, making a lot of money. Uh, I decide, you know, scanners were coming out and scanners where you can do a whole bunch of pages at one time and you can scan and take a paper and make it digital, put it into a PDF and file it on the computer. And I had all these file cabinets of papers and I said, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to take all the paper out of my life and put it all 
on my computer. And so little by little, you know, as I was doing other things, take that file folder out, do it. So I took out this one file folder and in there was the test. And I looked at it and I said, I cannot believe this, how accurate this was. Now, remember back in 73, yeah. I said, this is ridiculous. So number three, marketing and merchandising. Yeah. Number two, salesperson. Number one, public speaker. But back in 73, it wasn't in my frame of reference. I didn't even know what a public speaker was. I didn't know there were public speakers. I knew people spoke in public. I didn't know they earned money doing that. I didn't know until 79 when I became one. And this, uh, uh, this assessment, I'm sure that- Is it that why you into assessments? That, that probably was one of the things that in my mind, it had such an impact on me that drew me. I mean, I got into assessments prior to that. Uh, I went to, while I was in my, my doctoral program in uh, sort of the end of 1974, I was invited to this, this person's house and he was introducing a new product. And the product was... Uh, social style sales strategies. It was a Larry Wilson, Wilson Learning uh, product. And I looked at this and I said, my God, this, this is it. This is what I, it was almost, you know, the, the whole thing about love at first sight. I looked at this and I said, this is what I want to do. And it was four styles, but the terminology was, uh, expressive, amiable, analytical, and uh, driver. So the driver was yeah. the D. Uh, the amiable was the S. The uh, expressive was the I. And the analytical was the C. Yeah. But, but I didn't know that terminology in 74. But I looked at this. I said, this is what I want to do. I love it. So I went back to my doctoral dissertation chairman, because you have to write this dissertation, which had been... The proposal for my dissertation was approved, and it was buyer-seller similarity. Yeah, there was yeah. more to it. But the similarity I was looking at was demographic, age, weight, height, gender, yeah. et cetera. So I go back to the, my chairman, and I said, you know what? I want to change my dissertation, and I want to do it on, instead of demographics, I want to do it on psychographics, personality, behavior, Okay. And he said, absolutely not. No way. He said, you got your proposal uh, accepted. He said, that's a tough thing to do. Just finish it. Get out of here. <laughs> and if you want to focus on this other stuff, then do it then. But, but get your PhD. Because 50% of all people who get to that phase, the dissertation phase, never finish it. They call it ABD, all but dissertation. And many of them regret it, that they never really finished that last final step. By the way, that person, that doctoral chairman of mine, he was a professional speaker also, did about 100 speeches a year, mostly for Amway. He had a multi-million bestseller book called The Magic of Thinking Big, which was a book I read as a teenager and had a big impact on me. That's one of the reasons I went to that university, because I knew he was there. And I called before I even decided to go there and got him on the phone and said, look, I'm thinking, going here, would you be my dissertation chairman? He said, mm -hmm. yes. 
and I went there. Dr. David Schwartz, the author of The Magic of Thinking Big. You know, I go back, you, you know, you asked me something and, and I only gave you one answer. And that was some of those philosophies of my life. And I said the platinum rule, mm. do unto others as they would have you do unto them. But there are other philosophies that really had a, to this day, I live by, this too shall pass. Whenever yeah. anything... Whose philosophy is that? I don't know who it is, Buddhism. but I love it. I love it. Yeah, it could be. Uh, but whenever anything goes wrong, stress, whatever, I just say to myself, this too shall pass. And it always does, mm. but I don't let it get me down. Yeah. This too shall pass. Uh, another one, which I, I really practice, what goes around comes around. And the whole concept of karma. And yeah. And I, I try to be good to people. Uh, when I was growing up, this is something you probably don't know about me. When I was growing up, I was, I got in a lot of street fights, fist fights, and was quite good at it. And one of the ways, one of the, the, the reasons I got into so you were many quite fights, good at it, yeah. I was. be a UFC champion now. <laughs> well, it, it didn't exist back then, but I bet you I would have tried it if they had it at that time. Yeah. Uh, the reason I got into so many fights is I always stuck up for the underdog. If I saw somebody being picked on, I would try to stop it. And if that led to a fight, so be it. Uh, so, you know, that whole thing about what goes around comes around. I, I feel, and a lot of people who know me think that I, ha I have uncanny luck. But I think it's karma. I think uh, I, you know, somebody asked me uh, more than once on podcasts, what would you like to be known for? And I said, uh, well, I think what a lot of people would say and what I believe is generosity. I tend to be generous in financially, okay, but also helping people beyond just finances. And that, you know, growing up, it was fighting for the underdog. Uh, uh, and I think that that karma has come back. So what goes around comes around. This too shall pass. But one of the things that I think led to a lot of my success in life was a statement from my mother. And my mother would say to me, Anthony, never called me Tony, Anthony, you need to go the extra mile. Inch. Inch. So, I mean, when people hear that, and I want, I'm glad you said that, mile, because yeah. that's really yeah. what the st statement yeah. is, going the extra mile. My mother said, you go the extra inch. And she would say, a mile's too far. She said, and going the extra inch, I want you to improve yourself just a tiny bit each and every day in every area of life. So socially, uh, you know, give one more compliment each day. Physically, do one more push-up, sit-up, whatever. Uh, mentally, uh, learn a new word, uh, read an extra page in the book. Uh, physically, you know, walk around the block one more time or push-up, sit-up. Uh, spiritually, uh, you know, whatever. Read one page of the Bible or whatever. But it was always going the extra inch. And what it did, from the time I was a little kid, it instilled in me this I don't know if it was a need or probably a desire of self-improvement. So I read all these self-improvement books. Uh, one of those books was The Magic of Thinking Big, which really had a very big impact on me. Another was Psycho-Cybernetics. I don't know if you yeah. ever read that book by Maxwell Maltz. 
really, really powerful book about how habits are formed, et cetera. Uh, and it goes way beyond that. But psychocybernetics is the mechanics of the mind. It really is psychology. Yeah. He was a, I mean, this guy had a multi-million best-selling book and he was a plastic surgeon. And, and what he realized is that when people had all these insecurities or whatever, and thinking it was their nose, their face, whatever, and he would fix them, fix them. They still had these insecurities. So he realized, wait a second, it's, it's not on the outside, it's on the inside. If I could only do plastic surgery inside on the mind, and that's where that book, Psycho-Cybernetics, came about. But, but my mother, go the extra inch. Even to this day, at my age, with what I've achieved in life, I'm always, it has been drilled so deep inside of my psyche, I am always trying to do better, always trying to improve, an always trying to go the extra inch. Al Pacino says that in one of his speeches on uh, any given Sunday, I think, uh, in an American football uh, movie. This is about all of the inches that we that we all put in. Yeah, well, maybe that's where my mother... Well, no, my mother got no, that no, way they, before yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and you, may, may, so maybe he knew my mother. They're both but, Italian. Yeah. Both well, from you, New York. You mentioned Al Pacino, so I thought I'd mention it there. Yeah. Really powerful. I've got... By the way, did your... Did your um, professor ever tell you that you can do the new one, this, this, the psychology one? No, no, he, I, I couldn't. No, he said I couldn't do it in my dissertation. Was, uh, end off. No, just do what you said you were going to do with demographics. Is that what you did? I did. I finished it. But when I, when I got out, that's when I started really writing and speaking yeah. about the four styles. And, and so I started with four different names. All right, expressive, amiable, yeah. analytical. Then I changed it to uh, thinker, relator, socializer thinker, relator, socializer, and director. Yeah. Uh, and again, that was that was in the early 80s, maybe even the late 70s. Uh, yeah, it probably was in the late 70s. And uh, then sometime in the 80s, now I had been aware of DISC, but I liked what I was doing. And yeah. what I liked how I, I did the visual aspect, the quadrants, et cetera. Uh, and sometime in the 80s, the, uh, the president of the, of the disc company, at that time there was only one, uh, heard me speak using my terminology, not theirs. And he said, you know, I like what you did. I like the visual way you, you show the four styles. They weren't doing it in disc at the time. And he said, I'd like you to write a book with my VP of research and development on disc, but using a lot of what you have, yeah. you know, in terms of the visualization. Because I, I, back then, I don't, I, I, I don't think disc had the quadrants or any. Right. So we wrote this book, tens of thousands of copies were given out to consultants over a, a, a number of years. And, and of course, then, you know, once I got into it with this VP of R&D at disc, the company, it was at the time called uh, Carlson Learning. The original disc company was called Performax. Performax was bought by Carlson Learning. Carlson Learning was bought by Intermetrics. Intermetrics was bought, bought by Wiley Publishing. Everything has changed. 
But when it was Carlson, still in the early days, is when I did this book, and I realized that DISC was so much more well-known and popular worldwide than what I was doing, and I decided to move in that direction. And that, uh, and you've piggybacked off that success because now you've you considered the world's best in that area. Yeah, it, it, it's it's been a great a great experience going that direction. Well, I've got I've got some quick fire questions for you. Okay, um, what's your favorite book you've ever read? Oh my gosh, I would say favorite book probably Psycho Cybernetics. Yep. What's your favorite movie? Funny Girl, believe it or not, with uh, Barbara Streisand. Right. I love the movie because her her performance was truly Oscar performance. Her voice, in, in my opinion, she has the best voice uh, of any, certainly of any female speaker, uh, female singer. And of course, there's other really great female s- singers. Uh, Linda Ronstadt, uh, Celine Dion, but boy... Her voice was great. The movie was incredible. It was funny. It was touching. It was emotional. Yeah, so that was the movie, Funny Girl. And your favorite holiday destination? New York City. Is it? Oh, yeah. No, I love New York City. How often do you City. go there? Well, I, I haven't been there in a few years because, uh, you know, it's things have changed. We it, went to watch the New York Knicks. and oh, It was brilliant. Madison it, Square Garden? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no. It, it was brilliant. Yeah, but New York City is my... is where I was born and raised, in the city, and I know the city. It's in me. Yeah. Even though I've lived in California 47 years, I'm a New Yorker. It's still in me. I know the city well. I know the layout of the city. I love to, to go to the theater. I love the restaurants. I love just the ambiance of the city. Yeah. New York City. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Uh, superpower. Boy, there's a lot of good ones. It could be strength. It could be uh, Superman's uh, the vision. What is it called? Uh, where you can see through things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, one superpower. I, I got it. I got it. It is knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. Seeing, per, seeing the future. Seeing the future. Yeah, because yeah. then I can buy some good stocks. Yeah, you can. You, well, your money. <laughs> yeah. um, early bird or night owl. Oh, definitely early bird. Definitely. I get up at four between four and five AM. You and Vic Chiffatelli. Yes. He, he gets up like two AM. Oh, that's two but, and, and Angie Fairbanks gets up I mean, she only sleeps three hours a night. I don't know if you knew that. No. Her whole life she only sleeps about three hours every night. There you go. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, but I'm an early well, bird. Vic four. must do uh, he gets up at two. Yeah, well they, they talk to each other then. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um if you could have one day in someone else's life, who would you choose? Oh, boy. One day in another person's life, I would think, uh, where there's so many to choose from. Um, well, I could, I could say Jesus. One day, uh, but if you want somebody more current, uh, uh, probably uh, a sports person 
Uh, I don't know how much you know about American baseball. Uh, Maybe Sandy Koufax, who was a pitcher, arguably the best left-handed pitcher ever. Is is there a particular day that you would have chosen of his? Yeah, the day he pitched a perfect game because I listened to it while I was a kid. That's and, a good story. That yeah, the day he pitched the perfect game. That's he the day. Pe- I'd he have pitched him. a perfect game, and I, you know, I remember I was in my grandmother's house. I was listening to it on radio, and his first nine pitches. All right, so you only get three strikes and you're out. You get three outs to end the inning. He pitched nine pitches. Nobody even hit a foul ball, nine strikes, and I said to myself, this is going to be good, and it turned out to be a perfect game. There you go. All right, so who have been the three biggest trusted advisors in your life? And bear in mind, I mean, you're the world's best in what you do. Who's helped you? Oh, there, boy, there's been a lot of people. But I would say uh, Dr. David Schwartz yeah. was uh, significant. Uh and the guy who introduced me to the four styles <clears throat> back in 1974, believe it or not, his name was Bill Schwartz. They spelled their Schwartz yeah, right. name different. Uh, Bill Gove, the speaker I told yeah. you, had the vignettes. Because yeah. one day in 1981, now this was two and a half years after I had entered full-time speaking, he came up to me and he said, Tony, you're doing it all wrong. You're You're... Speaking as if you were a professor, and that's not you. You're funny, you're mischievous, you're a New York Italian, and you don't let any of that come out on stage. You need to let it come out on stage. And as soon as I started doing that, my career went like this. If I had stayed where I was, it may have still gone up, but you know, just slow. Once I made that change, it was what of being yourself. Of be, yeah, being more, I mean, you've, you've, have you seen me speak? Yeah. Yeah. So more Italian, yeah. more New York, more uh, playful, yeah. uh, funny. But initially, I wasn't doing that as a speaker. No, I've, I've only seen you do that. Yeah. Well, that, that was. There you go. <laughs> All right. So if there's one thing the listeners should do, I've been listening to this. What, what do you think the first thing is? Well, you just said it. Listen. Learn how to listen better. Because I will tell you that if you can become a better listener, you will get more people to like you. You will be more effective as a communicator. Uh, You will be more persuasive if that's what you want to be. Yeah, there's a lot of power in, in listening. The power of listening. Beautiful. I actually think they should all go and do the disc profile as well. By yeah, well, I, I should say that because that's what I do now. But Tony the, Alessandro, disc 24-7. Yep. That's where they go and do it, yeah? All with the action coach. All right, so you know what? My favorite thing from today, I loved it when you say, said earlier on, there's a difference between doing it and doing it well, listening. Right, right. Karma was a good thing. The extra inch you know go the extra inch oh really powerful but you know my favorite thing part of it's been when you started just telling your stories then i mean that was i just feel like i know you even better what's been your favorite bit of today well i would say uh 
revealing to you something you didn't know about me, which was me being a fight, a street fighter when I was young. Yeah, and, 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 and I will tell you, somebody said to me that they feel that that more than anything else has shaped my life because I, I really, I was so good at street fighting that it, there was sort of a self-esteem. There yeah. was a way I carried myself. Nobody tried to force me to do anything. No peer social yeah. pressure as a kid. Uh, and, and I didn't abuse it. Uh, I, I, and I, you know, I wasn't one who went out looking to fight, mm. but was always willing to do it to help or protect somebody else. Whether it's friends, whether it was my brother, my brother, my younger brother got me in more fights than you can imagine. But again, if somebody was being picked on, there I was to help them. Yeah, well, you could have been the UFC champion of that era. Who knows? <laughs> well, there you have it. Thank you very much, Dr. Tony Alessandro. My pleasure. Thank Thanks, you very James. much.